All right, psychology nerds, welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. I am Ryan Martin, psychologist and anger researcher and host of Psychology and Stuff, and I have lots to tell you today, including some big news about today's fabulous guest. Before we get to that, though, I need you to do two things for me. First, if you like Psychology and Stuff, please go and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. It helps other people find the show. Second, please go find us on Facebook or Twitter. It's at Psych and Stuff, one word, at Psych and Stuff. That's where you can get involved in the Psych and Stuff conversation. You can ask questions. You can even suggest an episode. With that, today I have got a really, really great guest. She's a regular on Psychology and Stuff coming often to talk with us about nature. She's also the winner of the Great Psychologist Fantasy Draft last spring. She is such a fan favorite that I'm actually very excited to announce that she is going to be joining me as co-host moving forward with Psychology and Stuff. It's Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dungess. How are you, Georgina? I am great. I am so excited to be joining as co-host. You know I'm a huge fan and and also a huge fan of of doing podcasts and sharing knowledge mm-hmm. and having some fun. And so I am excited to join right. you in exploring some really interesting topics. I'm not going to give that away quite <laughs> yet, but we are working on some really fun things in the hopper. Yes. Yes. And so, okay. So I was running through it as I was putting things together for today. What episodes have you been on? Because I know you were the first ever guest, I yes. think, right? I was so. the first ever guest. And then I did one for Earth Day. That's um, right. And I, I did think Gracie one. Kello was on that. Yes. Remember Gracie, a former yes. student of ours? Uh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also did one on environmental psych when mm-hmm. we opened up the museum. That's the, right. the, uh, Virtual Psych Museum. Virtual yep. Psych Museum. Wow, I just forgot the name. Great co-host, aren't I already? <laughs> Doing good. <Yes. laughs> so I've been on several times. And then, of course, the draft yep. that you mentioned that I won. <clears throat> That's right. You also uh, were the, the media, the uh, pop culture one. Yes. You did a pop culture oh, one. Right. Yeah, where you talked almost exclusively about vampires, I think, or <laughs> like CW shows. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, you know, if you're watching them, you know, yeah. you would be hooked as well. Yeah, we, we watch uh, Nancy Drew, by the way. Okay. Uh, this is, I've kind of been dragged into it, but I'm into it enough. Is so. Nancy Drew's best friend still George? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's she why... Is. Because like, my name Georgina, my oh, nickname nice. when I was growing up was George. Nice. Because of Nancy Drew, I thought I was all that. Very cool. Yeah, I like that. So I didn't read Nancy Drew when I was growing up, um, but my wife did. And so she's a big fan of the show. So we've been watching it together. So hence a big fan of me because yes. of the George nickname. I mean, it Not, just goes together. <laughs> exactly. Now that I know that. So, um, all right. Well, we are here today because you are not just joining me as co-host. You are also the guest for today. And we are going yes. to, uh, your expertise is coming into play um, because we're going to be talking about, quote unquote, vitamin N. Uh, so tell people, what is vitamin N? Well, I, I have been thinking a lot about this topic, and it's been really hot in the news. It's also one of the 2020 trends to watch for the American Psychological Association. And uh, that is like a lot of talk about nature. Mm-hmm. And recently, there have been some very humorous tongue-in-cheek commercials 
for prescribing nature. And at first I thought it was just a joke, like, ha ha, it's so funny, you know, like go outside in nature. And some of the side effects are like unbridled joy. <laughs> and uh, so I laughed watching these commercials. And uh, then I saw that there were actually medical doctors who are now prescribing nature uh, in their practice. And suddenly it went from a joke and a humorous commercial to an actual reality that vitamin N, which is you know, like the initial for nature, is something that we're kind of medicalizing mm -hmm. and using as a way uh, to promote well-being and to combat some of the most serious um, illnesses that are affecting people, both physical and mental, including diabetes and high blood pressure, uh, and also some mental uh, mental illnesses and and like mm -hmm. depression and right. anxiety as well. So it's a really on point kind of a very right. futuristic looking look at medicalizing the prescription of nature. So what what would or does this look like um, as far as when, when it comes to prescribing nature? Are we telling people get outside 30 minutes a day? What are... So, so here, there, there's, a, of course, a lot of flexibility in how it's prescribed, but I recently read an article about a medical doctor in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. who prescribes specific parks and time periods and activities for his patients to do hmm. out in nature. So it's not like just go outside and stand there in your driveway <laughs> for 10 minutes right. every day. Uh, he prescribes like, I want you to walk briskly for 20 minutes in this specific park in Washington, D.C. And he, he hands them a prescription on a prescription pad wow. and a map hmm. to the park. And he tells them, you know, like, this is the path that I want you to walk. And I want you to walk at this pace uh, for 25 minutes on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then on Saturday, I want you to go to this different park. And I want you to walk for an hour. And you can walk more moderately. Something like that. So it's not just, like, just go outside. Right. But go to a place where nature is abundant, a park or mm -hmm. um maybe your neighborhood that you live in is embedded in nature, mm -hmm. uh, but to spend time quali in quality nature. When it sounds like, at least based on that too, it's, it, I mean, the nature is a big part of it that exercise is the other big part of it, right? To tell people to walk briskly suggests that there's a, that there's the cardiovascular benefits too, which I'll, I'll have more to say about as we go further about the, the need to prescribe other things yes, uh, as well. So, so Absolutely. what are the benefits? Like what are, what would we, I mean, you mentioned a few things, but what do we prescribe this for? Why is nature important? Yes. Well, I think that the, one of the foundations of this field of environmental psychology, which is where a lot of this research is coming from, is that we are increasingly living indoor lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the, the impetus for this trend for happening is that we're spending a lot more time indoors mm -hmm. and a lot of time on screens. 
you know, like whether it be your cell phone or your computer or your TV, uh, that we're spending a lot of time indoors, sedentary, and looking at screens, and that we have removed ourselves from nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is scientists' belief that we are hardwired to live in nature. You know, if our history as human beings, thousands of years living in nature, hundreds of years living in cities. And so our brains and our bodies, our biology is hardwired uh, to really live in nature. And we've removed ourselves from that. And that has consequences. It has consequences, which is what you were asking me about. That was my long-winded answer. (laughs) But um, the the consequences are, um, one, we have this thing that's called um, directed attention fatigue, that we spend so much of our time indoors looking at something, and we call that like directing our attention single minded, single focused, Mm -hmm. uh, that our brains become fatigued from doing that. Mm -hmm. And the the side effects of that fatigue are irritability, like low level stress, and inability to pay attention. That's not how we want to go about our day. That's not how I want to go about my day. I want to to live my life to the fullest, right? Like I don't want to be irritable and I don't want to not be able to pay attention, especially because, you know, I'm in a in a profession where I'm trying to teach students and they're supposed to retain information. And yet I'm telling them to do that on a computer inside. How are they supposed to retain that information? So, um, Nature has the ability to restore attention. The The theory by the Kaplans uh, is attention restoration theory. Mm-hmm. The ability for nature to restore our brain's capacity to pay attention mm-hmm. and to combat um, directed attention fatigue. So that's one thing. Uh, we also live in a really stressful world. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it has been shown that spending time in nature, even short amounts of time, like 15, 20 minutes a day, uh, or even looking at pictures of nature, mm-hmm. say what, like a, a photo of nature, right. seriously, for 15 minutes a day can help reduce stress and mm-hmm. um, blood pressure, you know, like they're right. correlated, of course, uh, and hypertension and things like that. Also, nature has the ability to help our bodies heal. Crazy original research um, by Ulrich, where he tested patients in a hospital, and uh, he had them either looking at a view out the window of trees or not, and found that they got out of the hospital one day sooner and you're like, one day, who cares? Right. Do you know how much one day in the hospital costs? It's right. crazy. Right. And so one day less, fewer pain meds, which when we're talking about the opioid crisis currently, mm-hmm. like a really big focus on pain and pain medication. Right. If we can reduce that, that's great too. So all sorts of um, benefits. So I'm guessing now... We haven't actually, people, long-time listeners know this, but you're an environmental psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know you talk not just about the 
about the natural environment, but just environments more generally and sure. the impact they have. So uh, when I've been to hospitals as of yes. late, I've noticed that they are they have waterfalls, that they are yes. decorated in, they have more plants than I remember yes. when I was growing up. Um, sometimes as a as someone who would be naive, I, I might think, why are they spending all of this money on this stupid stuff? Yes. Um, why, do, why do hospitals have to look like museums? But this is an answer to that question, it sounds like. Absolutely. And the research is crystal clear hmm. that nature inside and a view of nature from inside outside, you know, like mm-hmm. if you're a patient in a room having a view out your window, um, just has so much beneficial for the patient, but also for the medical staff as well. Right. If we can help them pay attention better mm-hmm. and reduce their stress, then all the better for them and for the patients as well. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest trends in hospital design is gardens okay. and uh healing gardens, you might hear that, where patients uh, can have access to maybe a rooftop garden where they can walk through some, usually it has a like a meditative curving path. Mm-hmm. They, a person in a wheelchair could be wheeled through uh, as a way to have patients access actual outdoor nature as well. Huh. Wow, that is very interesting. So I've, to, to prep for all of this, you actually sent me this article. You already mentioned one of the things I was going to bring up, but you sent me an article titled 10 Reasons Why Children and Adults Need Vitamin N. And it looks like, I don't know how to pronounce this person's last name. Luov. Oh, I would have done it wrong. Okay, so it's Richard Luov. That's L-O-U-V. We can post this with the show notes. Um, but, okay, so 10 Reasons Why Children and Adults Need Vitamin N. I was reading through some of these. One of them you already mentioned that humans are hardwired to love and need exposure to the natural world that's yep. uh, rooted in our evolutionary history. Um, what I, I want to kind of dig into some of these other ones. So nature brings our senses alive. What does that mean? Well, I think that in, in this context, and Richard Luov is um, the, the person who coined the, the phrase vitamin N. Okay. He also is the person that coined the phrase nature deficit disorder that we might... Um, talk about uh, in a minute, but uh, he believes that when we are out in nature, because we're not directing our attention, like Mm -hmm. I was talking about earlier, like singularly focusing, but rather um, nature has the ability to hold our interest in our, it's called soft fascination, that nature has our eyes moving around um, and it's very freeing and restoring to our brains, but also allows us to pay attention mm-hmm. more to the whole entire environment. And so if you're spending time in nature, you may look at the needles on a, uh, a pine tree and notice how many of them there are. It's amazing. Or you might hear birds um, and and notice that there are different sounds. It like puts on fire our our senses and we are more in tune with different senses other than just seeing, which is a very much part of that directed attention is all visual on a screen to your eye, sometimes auditory like we're doing right now. Um, But it, it allows us to, to smell, to hear in a different way, to touch and to nice. taste maybe even. Um, so it, it, 
enlightens all of our senses. Very cool. Now, so a, a few years ago, actually, wow, it was a long time ago now that I think about it. But <laughs> I actually, so I used to do uh, a talk at the end of my psych of emotion class that was like 10 ways to be happy. And I finished it and there's nothing in there about nature and I finished it. And one of your students, one of my students who had been one of your students sent me an email afterwards and said, you should include spending time in nature uh, as part of that. So Yes. Good job, that student. <laughs> I don't remember who it was at the time, but uh, but you obviously taught them well, and then they taught me well. Um, and so I started including that um, as part of this, this discussion, spending time in nature after going to you and getting some resources. One of the things I read that I thought was so interesting, because it's not something I would have thought of on my own, was um, that when you enjoy nature, to enjoy it with all of your senses. And yes. so they talk specifically about like taking your shoes off and walking on uh, on the grass or sitting down and touching it with your hands um that to make sure you're paying attention to how things smell and the sounds and and so forth and so that i was thinking of that when i read this like nature bringing our senses alive that that sometimes just paying active attention or intent trying to pay active attention to nature Yes. I guess I don't need to taste nature when I'm out there. Well, you know, I could like, find ways. but I feel like if you're gardening yes. as a way to access nature, what better than to like pick a fresh tomato off of the the tomato vine right. that you're growing yourself and eat it right there out in the mm -hmm. sunshine? Ooh, that's awesome. My grandmother used to. Uh, by the way, I I cannot grow enough carrots <laughs> for my son to. That I don't think they ever get inside. Like we take them out of the ground and he eats <laughs> them before they get inside. But my grandmother used to. Um, she used to eat pine gum. She called it. It was this stuff that she would pull off particular pine trees that grew near her in Arizona, and she would. It was just a wad of. And she said it was nature's gum. And wow. she would give it to me, and it felt like I was chewing on bark. Uh, <laughs> it was sort of minty-ish, but, huh. but and I would kind of chew on it for a while, and she'd say that you had to, um, you really had to, it would get more gum-like the longer you spent, but I never spent long enough to make it. <laughs> so I should, disclaimer, don't try that at all. Uh, I don't know what kind of A whole tree bunch of people like just chewing on <laughs> bark. Chewing on trees. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess you can taste nature sometimes, but uh, but I wouldn't recommend it in this instance. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, so you know, nature bringing our senses alive. Some other things I wanted to mention from this: so nature heals. You mentioned this again, but it talks about Pennsylvania researchers finding that patients in rooms with tree views have shorter hospitalizations. Yep, that is wild. And you've done stuff on learning in nature, right? Absolutely. I in my environmental psych class, I spend a lot of time uh, in that class showing pictures of nature sometimes we can go outside in nature but sometimes in green bay it's a little chilly to go yeah, outside to talk about this, <laughs> um, but that shouldn't stop you um, mm -hmm. as my father always used to say there's no such thing as bad weather only bad clothing oh, and so if you're prepared with proper clothing you should be able to go out in nature regardless of the weather but I don't imagine that my students coming to class on a Monday at 1245 are wearing that appropriate clothing. So that's why we don't go outside in nature uh, when it's not lovely weather. But I, I feel like they, after looking at pictures of nature, and I try to use videos of moving nature so that and mm -hmm. they has sounds to it. 
um, to in, in at least spark some of the other senses uh, that they are able to pay attention uh, more and are more satisfied with the course, not necessarily having to do with learning particularly, but I'm imagining that if they can pay attention more, right. they're probably taking better notes, which means that they're probably able to retrieve that information better. So I'm curious about the, um, I, I want to talk more about the weather piece in a second, because that did, I did find myself thinking like, what impact does this have in, in good old, let's just talk about it now, actually. Um, yep. So in, in good old Green Bay, where a year ago at this time, we had what three <laughs> days of classes canceled because of uh, sub-zero temperatures. Yes, um, we've been okay so far this year, knock on wood. Yep. But it wouldn't surprise me if that happened again. Yes. What What do we do? In uh... well, it's unsafe mm -hmm. to expose your skin uh, when it's that cold, and right. so you. With appropriate clothing, you can certainly go out there. But a lot of the benefits that we that we receive from being outside has to do with um, exposure to sunlight mm -hmm. and um, mostly on the back of our hands and our face. Mm -hmm. And if you have to wear mittens and you have to wear right. a face mask, it's just yeah. not happening. And so there are, there are sometimes mm -hmm. some days here in Wisconsin that we don't get the maximum benefit right. that we can from nature. And then I would say, you know, look out a window mm -hmm. at nature and look at pictures of nature when you can't actually um, right. access the real deal. And finding ways to, I mean, as hospitals do, finding ways to bring it inside. Whether yes. it's having, maybe, yes. maybe I should water those plants in my office. Is that what you're, <laughs> is that what you're telling me? I think you've been told uh, yes. that before. <laughs> yes. I don't think I have to tell you that again. I've learned that lesson on my own. Yeah. I, um, you know, I will say, I was thinking about this with the census piece. I, so I tend to be someone who spends a lot of time in my head and not really noticing the world around me. It's, mm -hmm. And that is especially true on my walk into the office every day. You know, as I'm, as I'm walking from the car to the office, as you know, it's, it's, uh, it can be a longish walk, you know, it's maybe five minutes that I get to spend outside. And I'd spend too much of that time in my, in my head, not really thinking about the world around me. Um, there are two things that I'd say, like, when I remember to, which is more often now than it used to be, the two things that I love, 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 love. One is, like, finding the sun and just shutting my eyes and putting and letting it hit my face. Like, taking mm -hmm. a moment to actually do that, look towards the sun with my eyes shut and and feel the, the warmth on my face. Um, and in, whether it's winter or not, like, that is a good feeling. Um, the other is actually um, really paying attention to the sounds. Um, and that is actually particularly, or can be particularly interesting in the winter when there's so much silence, yes. when you don't have as many birds. Um, and, and you can just kind of hear that, that sound of silence or largely silence can be really interesting. And you notice things that you forgot were there. Yeah. Um, I love um, in winter time the silence allows you to hear your own footsteps mm -hmm. and i love the sound of like crunching snow right. underneath your your feet and so there are sounds mm -hmm. and sometimes you're creating them and it it connects you mm -hmm. to the world i i think yep and, and another thing about living in a place as uh, that gets pretty cold in the winter is um I have noticed in the mornings before it gets light out, very clear skies. 
uh, on relatively cold days that allow you to see stars that I haven't that I don't get to see elsewhere you know mm-hmm. and and part of it is that when it gets as cold as it gets here sometimes this is we're not really selling Green Bay very well right now, but <laughs> when it gets as cold as it gets here you can um, uh, clouds don't form as okay. readily and so you can see um, you get clear skies sometimes and that means that like really really great stargazing especially for me early in the morning when I get up and go for a little run and yep. There it is. It it is amazing. And since you mentioned running, I just wanted to maybe talk about exercise. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of big business. And I don't want to promote that we should be like capitalist in our our use of nature, and Mm -hmm. because then it will turn to abuse. But there are certainly many benefits to not just standing in mm-hmm. nature, but moving in right. nature. And that that movement can be many, many different types of movement, but there are so many benefits to both moving and moving outdoors uh, in nature that I can't, I can't imagine a better prescription right. from a doctor than exercise that your body's able to handle mm-hmm. in an a safe natural environment. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that in in terms of this episode about prescribing nature because one of the things I talk about in my my course on mental health is the um, the fact that I don't believe and I haven't been a practicing psychologist for a long or a counselor or a therapist for a long time, but when I was, I was never once taught to really actively prescribe uh, exercise, uh, healthy sleep, healthy diet, um, that those were things that were not really actively encouraged and um, at the time. And maybe they are more now. I, frankly, I kind of doubt it. Um, but I, it's one of those things I talk about in my course because um, I believe and I know that one of the things that's true for everyone, and it doesn't matter if you have a diagnosable mental health problem or, or you are relatively mentally healthy, that healthy sleep healthy diet, healthy exercise, those are things that are just going to make you psychologically stronger. Yes. Um, just no matter who you are. And, and of course, um, there are caveats to that. When, when you are depressed, it's harder to get exercise. It's harder to get yourself to eat well or to sleep well. Those things are baked right into the, the mm-hmm. symptoms. Mm-hmm. That said, we know that that's something that therapists should be thinking about more often is how can we help this person get on a regular sleep schedule because that's going to have a positive impact across all these different aspects of their life. It's not the only thing we're going to prescribe, but it's one element of treatment. How can we get this person eating healthy uh, foods because blood sugar spikes and drops, those are associated with with mental health concerns, right? Um and as and, and all those things work together so there uh, the the sleep affects healthy eating uh health affects healthy exercise all of these things are relevant i think what i'm gathering from this is one one piece of that whole puzzle needs to be spending time in, in nature absolutely and i think that you know like all of the things you were just talking about are all like kind of grouped together in our brain in the right. same in the same place and so uh, i think that they can help each other Mm-hmm. And so spending time in nature outdoors uh, gives you exposure to sun, which helps 
your circadian rhythms and it helps you get into a, a more regular sleep pattern. Mm -hmm. And so um, exercise can do the same thing. It can help regulate your hormones. It can, right. all these things are connected together and it doesn't, I, I often think, oh, you know, it's going to be too hard. I can't, I can't fix my sleep or I can't eat healthier or I don't have the time. We're not talking about like five hours a day right. at the gym, you know, or whatever. Like when I talk about exercise, what I talk about is a brisk walk outdoors or a bike mm -hmm. ride or something like that. I mean, it should be, it should elevate your heart rate, of mm -hmm. course, like for exercise benefits, but it doesn't have to be an hour even. Right. It could be 25 minutes. I, I read a recent statistic that spending 25 minutes walking briskly outdoor in nature can increase your life by three years. Wow. On the daily. That's right. a, a daily 25-minute huh. brisk walk. And I think, you know, like if any of you have a dog that you have to walk, you know, like 25 minutes walking mm -hmm. your dog in nature every single day can increase your lifespan that has to impact also your sleep and your diet and everything else too all right so as we kind of finish up this piece of things i've got a i want to ask about one other element here that we haven't talked about so much and that is nature building community bonds can you say more about that absolutely uh there's actually a, a ton of research and it's really fun to think about how people interact when they're out in nature. And um, I always give the example in my class about um, people around a bonfire mm -hmm. outside, um, whether it's in your backyard nature or it's in <laughs> camping nature. I think about the conversations and the things that happen around a campfire that are so different mm -hmm. from that same conversation with those same people inside right. at a meeting or inside if it's your family you know like getting ready for school or work or whatever you do indoors it's just different mm -hmm. and we take the time to talk to each other about things that are important and that are larger than our everyday banal kind of life conversations and so i think that it can build community in that way it also if you get people outside walking they're going to run into each other right. and they're going to talk to each other like, hey, how's your day? Oh, the weather, you know, like are you yep. just what a cute dog you have, you know, whatever it might be. It connects people. It brings people outside of their fortresses of their house to a, a common community gathering. Well, there is. So as we kind of finish up or move into our next segment, one thing I wanted to say is how much I love we've talked about living in a colder climate like this. The two things I love, one is watching my neighborhood kind of react to a big snowfall. Yes. And the way the kids are outside and they're all playing on snowbanks together and the, the neighbors are out helping each other like they're snow blowing each other's driveways or out helping shovel or whatever. And, um, you know, and that that is a really fun thing. The other day that I always loved is the first nice spring day we have after it's been cold and yes. you see people out exercising a lot of times or just out for walks or enjoying time outside in ways that you don't see them or you haven't seen them for several months, you know, and how much fun it is kind of live in a community like this on those particular days. I absolutely agree. And it is wonderful. And I think kids really, 
uh, I, we haven't said a word about <laughs> kids, um, but children really need uh, to access to nature and and playing in the snow is a mm -hmm. great example of that. And as adults, we don't play in the snow as much as we used to. Maybe some of us do, but we should do more of that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a, a great way for kids to really connect with nature as well. I went sledding with my 78-year-old mom last weekend. Love. Yes, there is a, <laughs> there is a part, I will admit, there is a part on uh, that we have recorded of her saying, should I do this, Ryan? And me responding with, how bad is your osteoporosis? <laughs> <laughs> so um, she did, and uh, she fell, and she fell hard, and she got right up, and she wow. laughed and had a good time. So it was very fun. So speaking of playing in snow as adults, um, it was it was a good time. That so, is great. Yeah, love so, it. Um, all right. Well, let's. We have with a new co-host comes a new segment. Um, so it is time to talk about psychological science in a segment we are calling Rapid Research Review. So the way this is going to work, we are each going to basically explain a study. We're surprising each other with a study. Hopefully it's not the same one. What if it um, is? That would be funny. Yes, <laughs> all the research that's done on the daily here, and we somehow are going to come up with the same thing. Um, so we're each going to spend about a minute explaining something to one another. Who wants to start? I'll go. Go for it. I will All go right. first. Tell me about so, the study. Um, my, the study that I read is titled Abstinence from Social Media Use, Ooh. Subjective Well-Being, Stress, and Loneliness by Valley and D'Souza. And it was published in June of 2019. And so I've been thinking a lot about social media use recently. I just recently um, chose to do a little self-inflicted hiatus for just a week uh, from social media. And so because I had read a lot of research about how um, there's so much social media right. use that it has negative uh, consequences, particularly for teenagers, I often hear like all the problems of the world right. are because teenagers <laughs> are on their phones all the time. And the research is actually not conclusive right. in that, that in that area. But I, still, I thought, well, you know, I've been using social media too much. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to abstain for a week. And this article uh, is asking exactly that question using uh, an experimental method hmm. where they wondered if people abstained completely, uh, how would that impact their well-being, um, and also their stress mm -hmm. and loneliness. And uh, they found kind of surprising results. They did it with a, uh, an intro to psych population. So of course it's not every human, but right. <laughs> it's an, uh, a college age, traditionally college age population of, let's see, 68 participants. And they randomly um, put them into two conditions, one where they asked them to remove all social media apps from their phone and abstain from using them for a week, and the control just did regularly whatever they did in social media. And they shockingly found, and let me just turn to that page so I don't say it wrong, that after this seven days of social media abstinence, that that treatment group actually significantly decreased in really? their sense of well-being. Really? Right. So what does this mean? Uh, 
I, I'm not sure. <laughs> and coupled with that, they also had a significant increase in their sense of loneliness. Huh. And uh, there was no significant difference in stress. Okay. So those were like kind of the right. three main hypotheses. And so part of the discussion of this article was that this is a forced right. hiatus. And so maybe that might have contributed mm-hmm. to their feelings of, of less well-being just because they were forced to, right. as opposed to me when I decided I right. chose for myself. But it's still it's an interesting window uh, into people's thinking right. about their social media use. Yeah. Well, and I can tell you, so I, in, in a class project once, I had students voluntarily, they, they wanted to give something up as part of a class assignment, and they chose to give up their phones for a day, um, just a day, and just like see how it went. And most of them reported a negative response to it, you know, and, yes. and they did it for a similar, I didn't make them, but they also they didn't they did it as part of this assignment where they had to make a change and see what the impact was yes um but part of it is i mean and i think i would have a negative response to that not necessarily because i'm so addicted to social media but because it's just a it's just a thing that it's kind of how i organize my life like i feel sort of all over the place like i didn't know what i was supposed to do granted that's phone use not just social media use but yes um yeah that is very interesting so all right i thought it was cool yeah food for thought well thank you well all right so my article jordina you have known me since before i was a parent so you get to comment on how i might uh fit into this so would you say that me becoming a father led to me being more or less physically healthy in your estimation more you think so okay why i do i think that you're thinking the long term Yes. Interesting. Well, then your assessment is exactly what they found. They didn't even need to do this study. They could have we didn't plan that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could have just asked you. Uh, in a recent study published in the Journal of Psychology of Men and Masculinities, uh, they found that new fathers reported a greater sense of purpose that led to increases in healthy behaviors. I actually have a caveat to this in my life that I'm going to throw out in a second. Um, The authors uh, surveyed 211 men, about 50% of whom were fathers with children under the age of five, which I think is interesting. I'd be curious to see how it continues to play out. Mm Because under the age of five, I think, at least for me, I had, when when my kids were under the age of five, I had maybe less time to to try and engage in some healthy behaviors, like exercise and things like that. They required more of me than they they do now in in a lot of ways, or maybe not more, but different Mm -hmm. me. Um, like I can run with them now. Right. When I, and, right. Um, uh, they completed measures of purpose, cardiac-related health behaviors, and social support. So the cardiac-related health behaviors were like how much do you drink, how much do you smoke, mm-hmm. um, do you exercise, uh, yeah. a lot of things like that. Uh, so results indicated basically a greater sense of purpose, uh, healthier behaviors, uh, more social support. So they actually sought out social support more often. Uh, they also found that being married related to healthier behaviors and more social support. So that group, uh, the the married dads were the healthiest of the bunch. Um, so I'm always I'm uh, part of the reason I, I grabbed onto this article was because um, I was one I, I I actually get a little wary of. I saw the headline. It was at one point, and I thought I'd hunt down the original article and see what they had to say. I actually get a little wary of things that talk about um, um, men doing better 
post-marriage or post-kids because I think there's a fair amount of research that said women are worse off after those. And so I actually went, and I want to be careful because I went to this article to look and see if there was anything about the impact on women. There is not anything in this particular article. So I don't know the answer to that yeah. question I was curious about. Granted, this is, what, in the Journal of Men and Masculinities, so I understand right. why they <laughs> didn't. Um, but I do find myself wondering, is this impact different than it is uh, for men than it is for women? Yes. Um, what does that look like? And I suspect it might be different. Yeah. And I, I wonder to myself, and I don't know the answer, but maybe we'll do an episode on this. Yes. If if men are exercising more, does that mean that the that women are exercising less and taking right. care of the kids during the time that the father mm-hmm. is running or biking or something like that? And I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're doing it together or as a family or whatever. Right. But we'll have to find out. And well, and one of their suggested interventions, semi related to that, is to get um, to raise awareness of like fathers' health and children's health to get them doing health behaviors together. There you um, go. And so that's one of their suggested sort of uh, implications of this is we should um, try and encourage fathers and children to to do these exercises together outside in nature. <laughs> yes. So and was, then we're great. Right? Yes. So I was going to say like kind of a caveat to this. So for me, because I agree that I am healthier now than I was then. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was during those first five years. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but I will say that um, a big part of it for me has been, and this is the part that was true during those five years, is that at a certain point I sort of thought, you know what, it, the best way to parent is that I need to figure out kind of how I want my kids to be and then I, I need to live that lifestyle. So yep. if I want my kids to eat salads, then I need to eat salad, you know, in front right. of them. And, right. You know, and if I'm going to get them interested in exercising or reading, then I need to exercise and read. And yep. so it was sort of a sense of purpose, but it was also a sense of modeling. It was a way of saying uh, we can't, I can't, I couldn't. I didn't feel like I could be a productive parent if my ideology was do as I say, not as I do. And so right. it, it had to be both of those things. Right. It's sort of like the the analogy of you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before yes. you you put on your child. And I think about, you know, that that would be true because if you're telling your kids to do all these healthy things, it's like putting the oxygen mask on them. But you're like, I'm not going to make it, but you right. you should. How about we both make it? You know, yes. like, yep. And how about we both have access to oxygen? Right. Very good. So anything else as we finish up today? No, I'm super pumped. I, I can't wait uh, for the episodes yeah. this semester or long. So be looking forward to some really engaging conversations. I'm super excited too. It is a joy to have you here. And if you, so a couple things. One, uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. That is at Psych and Stuff. That is a good place to go. Welcome Georgina to the show, but also to suggest episodes. So if there are particular things that you want to see or hear about, um, please, 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 please let us know there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's at Rye Marks. Georgina, you are on Georgina Twitter. Georgina W D. Yes, Georgina W D. We should spell Georgina G E O R J E A N N A W D. 
So awesome. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. The executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick, and the engineer for today's episode is Sarah Miller. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlees. Special thanks also to our guest and new co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungis. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast, to check out our past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my new co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungis. Keep being amazing.